Hello and welcome to the third in this series of TQ podcasts, looking at the future of food. Today I'm talking to Nesli Souza, a research professor at VTT Technical Research Centre in Helsinki. VTT is one of Europe's leading research institutes. The research centre claims it possesses a unique toolbox that combines plant-based and cellular agriculture ingredients to replicate the building blocks of animal meats, such as proteins and lipids, to create alternative meats with a 100% identical sensory experience. Nesli is a proteins expert with a PhD in food science and is with me to discuss the future of proteins and its alternatives in our diets. So I'm Alexis Crisp and welcome to today's Future of Food podcasts for TQ. It's great to welcome you, Nestle Soza, to this podcast. Um, I was wondering if before we we start, you can just you can just tell me a little bit about what you do, who you work for, and and um, and your connection to the proteins industry or the future of proteins industry. Could you do that? Yeah, sure. So I'm Nestle Soza, a research professor at VTT Technical Research Center of Finland. Uh, my professorship is focusing on smart and sustainable food production. Uh, specifically, uh, my in my daily work, I'm focusing on integrating more alternative proteins in our diet, processing of them, extraction of these alternative protein ingredients, and turning them into, into tasty, appealing food products. Uh, basically plant proteins and and also microbial proteins and using cellular agriculture to close the gap between the between the alternative foods and then the animal counterparts. And what was the specifics of your PhD, if, if you don't mind me asking? Well, obviously, my focus was on the on the food structure design. So if we want to make a connection, so it was focusing on food structure design and and then um, f- integrating more uh, nutritious products into our diet so dietary fiber is uh, that was the reason that i was focusing on dietary fiber and and resistant starch i mean the name is starch but it's a special fraction of starch that acts like a like a dietary fiber it's it cannot be digested as starch is typically very easy to digest and when it comes to starch, that's what you want. You want to limit the digestion so that uh, the glycemic index is, is lower. Uh, however, with proteins, what we want is that we want them to be highly digestible. Uh, and yeah, so in my entire career, I have been focusing on plant-based ingredients and foods. And then, and then, of course, uh, compared to 20, 25 years ago in, in, in research and science, uh, these sustainability issues were not so much in the center. But now uh, there is also European push. Um, there is also activities around, around uh, climate actions and so on. And we know that uh, agricultural production food system is quite an important uh, contributor to greenhouse gas emissions, um, and then and then also if we think about the current uh, food production system, it's very uns- unsustainable from the perspective of uh, protein conversion, um, 
uh, water use, energy use, and, and so on and so forth. So it really sits in the center of now uh, our research when it comes to the sustainable uh, food system research. And that's why now my, my personal research focus has been more uh, towards tackling the protein challenge. Of course, still, uh, when we look at the, uh, the dietary habits and then the nutritional profile of Europe, US, Canada, still, we don't have a protein intake problem. We are consuming way too much proteins than we should be but we still have a dietary fiber intake problem. So we are still consuming much less dietary fiber than, than we, should, we should be. And that's, that's actually in a way quite much linking to the targets that we have because we want to have this shift towards more uh, plant-based food consumption. So if we are able to make that dietary shift, that means that we will eventually reduce the, the animal protein intake, but then also increase the dietary fiber intake. So what is an example of dietary fiber? That... Um, for instance, cereal brands, they are quite high okay. in dietary fiber. Whole grains, of course, whole grain flour and products made with whole grains. Um, and, and an interesting example is that not majority of the consumers are aware of the fact that when they start consuming whole grain products, they get two with one stone, which means that you take substantial high amount of proteins from the whole grain flours and you get also dietary fiber. So you get both the protein and, and fiber at the same time. I never realized that there was protein in the whole grains, but that's but that's because I'm not an expert. I, I suspect most people do. So, you are not alone. I'm pretty much sure there are many, many consumers who don't notice that the bread that you consume is part of, I mean, it, it has substantial amount of protein, especially when it is made with whole grain flour or, or the cereals that you are consuming, the porridge. I mean, there are all sorts of protein, but we are just not so much aware of it. Okay. Yes, because um, as I think a lot of people think proteins come from your standard kind of meat and and uh, and eggs and uh, uh, so which which proteins that that we are used to at the moment um, in kind of general life do you think will no longer be available to us um, in the future? Actually, I don't believe in a future that there will be extinction in one of those uh, protein sources. I think everything will be available, but then uh, what will be dramatically different, different is that the amount that, that will be available for us to consume. So we will still be consuming animal proteins, uh, dairy, meat, eggs, and so on. But then it is quite clear that we will not be able to continue the level of consumption that we have at the moment. So we will have more diversified uh, sources of different proteins. And actually, if you compare 20 years ago 
and and today because you were saying 10 20 30 years if you make that type of look look back and now we have really quite much different sources of yogurts made with you know oats uh, soy pea totally different kind of product portfolio and then these meat analogs are not only or meat alternatives are not only restricted to tofu or or then extruded soy, we can also see quite big variance in the selections. We didn't even know much about precision fermentation or cellular agriculture. <laughs> I mean, these, these are to totally new, new concepts that we have. So, uh, however, not all these plant protein sources, like we cannot rely on only cereals and legumes also in the future. It's not possible that that uh, I don't live in also a future that cellular agriculture will be able to, you know, meet the whole protein demand of the world. That's not gonna happen either. Therefore, we need these alternative production technologies, alternative sources to diversify uh, the protein so that we are still able to consume uh, the animal proteins, but not as much as we are consuming today because we are really, especially in Europe. Of course, this is this very much depends on the on where you are living. Uh, but uh, in, in Europe, we are consuming way too much than, than we need. So typically it's something around, again, depending on which European country you are talking, it's something around 40 to 62 kilograms per capita. And this is only meat. The number that I give you belongs to only meat. So it doesn't include the eggs and then the milk and so on. This is just the meat. So meaning that pork, uh, red meat and, and chicken. But the predictions are the predictions are that this will increase rather than decrease per capita and around the world. Yeah, the protein demand is, of course, increasing because the population is increasing and then the buying power of the consumers are increasing in general. And that also yeah. increases the, the meat meat consumption. But what we have seen, and again, I'm, I'm talking about Europe, uh, with the COVID pandemic, people started to understand a bit better what kind of, because it, it was also connected, the way that the COVID pandemic started was also connecting to the food system. Of course, we don't necessarily know at this very moment probably how it started, but then the one of the hypotheses was that it was because of the uh, uh, because of the corruption in the in the in the food intake. And and the interest raised more towards plant-based foods during that time. And, and then also uh, within the years, there has been also lots of uh, research which has showed that red meat consumption is very unhealthy. So it's not only unsustainable, but very unhealthy. It's, it is associated with different cancers and, and other, other diseases, heart diseases and so on. What we see in Europe today is a decline in the red meat consumption, which is very promising but an increase in, in poultry. Yes. So chicken, chicken. Of course, when you compare the sustainability of red meat, lamb and cow, I mean, beef versus pork and, uh, 
and chicken, of course, it's in a bit better level, but of course, it's, it is by no means close to these uh, plant proteins or microbial proteins when it comes to protein conversion. I have read that kind of per person per capita that the that the consumption of meat products is raising. So do you think that people will move away from meat and more into plant based or is it just that, that the production of meat is going to have to increase? And that's why we that's why, uh, you know, sort of cultivated meat is such an important thing. Lab grown meat is such an important thing. Or do you think humans are quite happy to move on to sort of plant-based as an alternative? Yeah, I give the example of COVID, which has increased the interest towards plant-based foods. Mm. Uh, but we are also going, going through another level of crisis at the moment, energy crisis. I mean, one crisis after, after another one. Yes. And then we are in the middle of, of a war in, in Europe that has also affected uh, also the, the like uh, Russia and Ukraine being one of the big producers of sunflower, for example, and sunflower is one of those alternative proteins and all sorts of, I mean, these are like so much connected with each other. And we had the wheat crisis, wheat is one of our major resources for carbohydrate, but also for protein. Yeah. Uh, and, and that has been also reflected on the cost. If you look at those alternatives, they were already like three, four years ago before, before everything has started, more expensive than the chicken or pork itself. Now they are in such a level that, of course, it's much more uh, costly. And then there are also still the, the taste challenges when it comes to these alternative products. They, they don't have the exact same texture. Uh, yeah. structure and then the taste profile of the animal counterparts i mean they they are not identical indeed with meat or milk or yogurt and cheese. i suppose that is just a matter of time isn't it until they are it's a matter of time but then the cost is something that that is now really really in the big picture and we should be also also taking that into account when we are creating these alternatives they have to i mean there has to be this must have factors in food it has to be tasty, nutritious, and affordable. You mm. can design very, you know, healthy, nutritious, tasty product, but in the end, if people cannot afford to buy it, yes, or then you can design something which is which is very sustainable, nutritious, and and affordable. But if it doesn't taste good, then you again fail. So there are these three must-have factors in food, and we have to meet all of them. And at the moment, when we look at those alternatives, unfortunately, uh, they are lacking either one of these, these must-have factors. And that's why it's taking a bit of, it will take a bit of time to have this dietary shift. And, 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 but the good thing is that we are, we are having different kinds of products. So the next generation is, is growing up with this culture and they are exposed to this different kinds of products. So they, 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 are, they are raised with more, uh, how do I say, more information than we used to have like 20 years ago. And I believe that, that uh, change happens when, when you are forced to do that. And, and 
believe yes. are more and more forced from the environment to have this kind of change. Well, we you are know, being forced into into um, into change, but I suppose it can it can still go either way, can't it? So we can face a future where people are consuming more meat because because the industry uh, the of sort of cultured meat has reached price parity and they can deliver on taste and the rest of it and uh, because they're being forced into it and the other alternative is that people change their habits and they stop yeah. eating meat and they eat more plant-based products which which like you say the next generation are more informed and they are more mm. they are much mm. more likely to do that than this generation or the one before us um i mean the idea of people changing their habits is quite a difficult one to it's very difficult. see you know happening it's uh, it's very it's very difficult uh and and of course cultured meat is one option so that they they get used to what what they have been eating but mm. then there are there are huge issues with the with the cultured meat production because the growth factors needs to be taken into account. Uh, it is still very costly, and then and then also it takes time. I mean, to to produce one gram of cultured uh, protein mass takes twenty days. I mean, right. And this That's is only the protein part. And if you look at meat, it's not only we are not eating the muscle. There is also mm. the the fat component there. And and then the the pigments, the heme, which is which is a very important factor that gives the color, but then also the the taste to it. So, which are some of the most exciting um, sources of protein which uh, are in the offing at the moment? Which you know, as part of the future of food, you know, when you remove meat and the rest of it, um, what you know, what do you think is the most sort of exciting developments in protein sources? I think if you look at the near future, uh, like five, five to ten years, uh, the plant proteins, obviously the, the legumes, uh, when it comes to also nitrogen fixation in the soil. So if we take into account this one health approach, uh, they are really exciting ingredients. Uh, uh, of course, uh, soy has been always there. But, mm. but soy is non-European and then there are uh, GMO issues with, with soy uh, and, and it's a uh, strong, strong allergen. So from that perspective, now, now pea protein is, uh, is very attractive, uh, faba beans, uh, cow peas. So even, even in Europe, we, we, are, uh, we are getting more familiar to these uh, different, different legume sources. However, we haven't been also... Uh, fully exploiting the side streams, the agricultural side streams. So when we look at the, uh, the food production, starting from the farm, all the way to different, uh, different levels of agricultural production, we still generate lots of side streams. And they, they, they also contain a substantial amount of proteins, uh, fibers, and, and other components. So I think the transition that we will have is also to to cascaded use of the, the side stream so that we really efficiently utilize whatever we produce. Um, so it can be extracted, proteins can be extracted from the side streams, uh, agriculture side, for instance, oil press cakes, which is a side stream that is obtained by uh, pressing of the oil. 
like rapeseed, uh, sunflower, or or olive oil. Mm. And then the press cake is typically goes to uh, animal feeding at the moment, but it's it has around, uh, depending on the oil seed, 30 to 40% protein in it. And, and, and it's a quite valuable protein source, which can be extracted and converted for human consumption. Mm. So these are the, I think, the, the exciting things. And then how we are integrating biorefinery concepts also to food production. So we are really, we, we, we have to consider this, uh, valuable side streams so that they don't go to animal feed or oftentimes they are just burnt. Mm. Majority of the cereal brands, which I give as an example as good source of fiber, but also protein, they are incinerated. They go okay. for energy. Right, right. And have you heard of the company called Solar, which I think is a, Scandina it's, it's a Scandinavian company? It's a VTT spin-off. <laughs> it's a what? It's it's a spin-off of VTT Technical Research Center of Finland, where I okay. am working at. Yes. Okay. So they have and so they have an exciting um, new source of protein. Yes. Yes. So they are capturing capturing the carbon and and they are basically converting it to food protein. Yes. Yeah. So I mean that's that's you know that's essentially kind of taking uh, protein from the air isn't it exactly yes yes and and of course these these are but then there is still a a way to go with those type of um uh, of course it's very very fascinating uh that process and i'm i'm not saying it because it's a spin-off from my own <laughs> research organization it's really fantastic but then when it comes to the uh First of all, it has to go through the novel foods legislation in Europe. And that is that is something that we are indeed lagging behind uh, compared to approvals in US, Canada. Yes. They, for instance, solar fruits, you gave the example, solar fruits, they got the approval in Singapore, but still yeah. they are in the process of get, getting over the novel foods legislation in Europe. In Europe, unfortunately, the, the, the heavy legislation is either a game stopper or a game slower. So. Right. Div, what you think um, the main changes are going to be like in 30 and 50 years from now? How how if how you can perhaps predict what what how we might be eating in 30 years and in 50 years? We've talked about 10 years, we've talked about five years. Mm. We will still keep on eating what we are eating now when it comes to the meals and so on. But then um, the the sources sourcing of the raw materials that we use there will change. So I believe that we will keep on eating meat. We will keep on eating cheese and so on. But then does the cheese need to really come from the animals? So. It can come also from, from precision fermentation. I mean, I have said that in the beginning of my talk, okay, we, we didn't know much about precision fermentation, but actually we weren't aware that we knew about precision fermentation. If you look at cheese production, rennet, and, rennet is, is an important step to, to make the cheese. It's the enzyme that, that converts the milk to cheese. And it exists in the stomach of, of animals. 
And typically today, we are industrially producing the rennet enzyme. We are not getting it from the animals. So there are already uh, examples of precision fermentation in our lives today. Mm. And, and if you look at production of beer, okay, it's not precision fermentation, but <laughs> yes. Yes. it's fermentation. That's so right. Conversion of using the microbes to convert the sugar to alcohol. Okay, I'm not promoting here alcohol or beer consumption, but it's in our lives. Yeah. So, so we will have, have, have this transition. We will keep on eating the traditional, because food is very cultural. It's very close to people's heart. So I am not expecting a huge change in the, uh, in the foods that we are consumed. But then the, uh, the, the raw materials, the ingredients that we use in making those foods, that will change. Right. Okay. And you think that'll be the same in 50 years as well? Do you think it'll still be the same sort of... Uh... Well, in 50 years, I think this, this precision fermentation and cellular agriculture products will be a mainstream. And then I believe that at least 25% of the food that we consume will be produced with those technologies. And then we will dramatically reduce the amount of the actual meat that is or actual uh, milk that's produced by the animals so it will be really how would i say kind of a luxury item that we want to have as a, as a gourmet product right okay yes no, I can... and that's totally fine i mean we can still have it as a as a you know uh gourmet product but then uh, we have to substantially reduce our con consumption rate you say that uh, that solar is an offshoot from your research center. Have you been involved in that at all? Uh, actually, at the moment, I have a Horizon Europe project uh, called Giant Leaps, and there we have also solar foods. And uh, now we are using the the solar foods microbial protein, so it's a bacterial protein in different food applications. Uh, so uh, yogurt analogs, uh, meat analogs. So okay. uh, we are functionalizing it even further so that it can be turned into uh, into healthy and appealing food products. This is an organization you're working with at the moment called it's called Giant Leaps. Uh, it, it is a, it's a uh, Horizon Europe funded project. It's a large project that has received funding uh, from the European Commission. Okay. Uh, and that's focusing on enabling the dietary shift. So we are focusing on different kind of plant-based proteins and, and also cultured meat and, and also uh, this microbial proteins, including also different kind of microbial algae, uh, mm. including also insects. So okay. quite diverse group of uh, protein ingredients, how we can process them, how we can turn them into uh, healthy, appealing food products, uh, how are the safety issues, uh, are there any toxic ones? Because with these novel ingredients, we don't know the, yeah. the, the safety part. Are they really sustainable compared to animal counterparts? How much they are sustainable? How it changes from one protein uh, source to another one? So it's really, a, and then of course, an important part, consumers. It's also 
also in this project included. So this is this is a very very large uh, project with close to thirty different partners, industry partners, and and research organizations. Okay, okay. Well, I'll have to I'll have to have a look at that organization and find out a little bit more. I do enjoy the um, how the industry works together um, on you know on developing and promoting. Uh, the products and the services and you know and the and and the different types of protein you know they have i think it was moss and meat who decided to share their their um their uh, patents uh, publicly so anyone could see how they make and how they do what they do which is which which i think is a great leap forward actually in the world of in the world of business um so anyway uh we we're coming to an end Thank you very much for your time. Um, and uh, it's been lovely to speak to you. Is there anything yeah, you like same, same here. Same here. And by the way, you said Mosomit. Mosomit is also in, in Giant Leaves. That's the cultured meat company. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've been following their work quite closely, mainly because actually uh, a, a piece of interest, because they're based in a place in Israel called Rehovot, which is where I was on a kibbutz when I was 18 years old. So I, um, I, 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 you know, I feel some connection to that particular organization. So have enjoy the rest of your day. Lovely talking to you and thank you. Thanks.